Welcome to the Stillhouse podcast, the show where we celebrate all things dark spirits. Whiskey, rum and cognac are sometimes misunderstood as drinks that can only be enjoyed by certain people on certain occasions, but this couldn't be further from the truth. So in this podcast, I'm delighted to meet some of the greatest minds in the world of spirits and cocktails to celebrate the magic of whiskey, rum and cognac. It doesn't matter if you're a complete beginner or a connoisseur. If you're interested in dark spirits, this show is for you. This is The Stillhouse Podcast, made in partnership with Edrington UK and me, Becky Paskin. Last week on The Stillhouse Podcast, I was joined by Nick Larson-Bell of Harvey Nichols to discuss finding the perfect gift handpicked by you. In our conversation, Nick explained why dark spirits make an extra special gift. He also had some great tips for how you can find the right whiskey or dark spirit for a loved one and revealed how you can personalise your gift to make it even more meaningful. It's a really fun episode, so make sure you go back and check it out. Dark spirits, and in particular whiskey, have been historically portrayed as old-fashioned drinks to only be enjoyed in a certain way and by certain people. As a result, dark spirits are sometimes seen as drinks that can't be fresh, new or exciting. But is this perception actually true today? Can whiskey and other dark spirits be a vibrant and exciting choice? Can a whiskey cocktail ever achieve viral cult status like the Aperol Spritz or Negroni Spagnol? Should whiskey shake off its romantic, traditional reputation to become a spirit that's truly on the pulse? To help me answer these questions, I'm joined in the Stillhouse studio by two of the biggest names in drinks. Alice Lassels, who is an award-winning journalist, author, presenter and drinks expert. And Chris Tanner, bar manager of Silverleaf in London, a luxury cocktail bar at the Pan Pacific Hotel that has an awesome whiskey collection. In this episode, we discuss whiskey's aspirational qualities and how our reverence for its heritage can sometimes be a barrier to its use in cocktails. Chris and Alice will reveal their top tips for making at-home cocktail experimentation easy. Plus, we predict which dark spirits drink will be the next viral sensation. It's a fantastic episode, so let's get started. I'm Alice Lassels, drinks writer. I've been writing about drinks for about 20 years. I'm best known for my column in the Financial Times. I also write for other publications and am the author of The Cocktail Edit, which was recently published a book about cocktails. Love your book, by the way. Absolutely stunning. Chris, you also are very au okay with cocktails. Tell us about what you do. I'm a bartender by trade, been working in London as a bartender for over 10 years, but most recently as founder and operator of Silverleaf on Bishopsgate as part of the Pan Pacific development. A stunning bar as well. Real great bonus to London. Here to talk to you both about dark spirits. And I think you'll agree with me that there's this unfair reputation that perhaps maybe they're seen as a little bit traditional, a bit of an old man's drink that's a kind of a sultry evening tipple. Do you agree that it maybe suffers from this reputation still? Yeah, firstly, a madman's got a lot to uh, answer for in terms of how, like, the modern views of whiskey. But historically, I think over the last sort of 20 odd years, whiskey seems to be seen as like the purview of like Chesterfield sofas and like cigars. And I think it's changing, but it's still quite a, a ways to go. It's partly been a victim of its own very successful marketing, isn't it? Because if you look back into the advertising in the early 20th century, you know, this was all about whiskey. You shouldn't mix it because it's such good quality stuff. And, you know, this is for the discerning person and the serious man and all this kind of thing which was great for giving whiskey and dark spirits gravitas but the flip side is 
maybe now people feel a bit intimidated by it. And that's something really that, you know, whiskey is trying to work on now, I think. On one hand, as you say, it has this aspirational quality to it, not just whiskey, all dark spirits, I think. Rum and cognac, we can include in that as well. It has this aspirational quality to it. Maybe that's something to do with, with the price of it being slightly more expensive in many cases than white spirits. But then on the other side, we're promoting it in cocktails and it makes a wonderful base for cocktails. I mean, do you think that it's now maybe starting to change that reputation. It's starting to become more of a trendy spirit that young people are perhaps choosing to drink in mixed drinks. Is it starting to shake off that reputation? It depends which country you're looking at, because maybe in the UK we're being a bit slow to get into mixing dark spirits. But if you look to the Far East, for example, it's much more common to see people drinking highballs or putting dark spirits with mixers. It's a sort of young kind of up-tempo drink in a way it might not be seen so much in the UK. Also in America, of course, you know, rich cocktail culture there and whiskey and cognac were the sort of original cocktail spirits, really. That's quite, I think, very much like a Western perspective and very much like maybe like a European perspective of whiskey. Because the idea of whiskey being this sort of, you sit down, you have it neat, it's an after-dinner drink, and then you go to Asia and Japan, people drinking highballs after work, it's conviviality, it's fun, it's being social, which is very, very different perspective to what we have here I think. But how do we change that here? I mean this is the culture as you say in, in other countries around the world. Whiskey's being seen as a convivial drink, something you can drink high tempo with friends and, and have a really great time with other people but in the UK it's maybe not necessarily seen as that. How are we changing that? A good example would be like Spearhead from the Loch Lomond distillery. So it's, it's a whiskey that is made specifically to be mixing but taking like years of heritage and knowledge but putting it into something that is designed to be accessible. So it's up to us to make sure that we grant that access as stewards to consumers that come into the bars or like how we talk about things and actively saying like it's up to you how you drink it. Like have a highball, have a cocktail, have fun with it. You're not associating it with any one particular occasion. Yeah. You know, there are certain liqueurs out there which you only associate with Christmas and there are you know, the gin and tonic, for instance, which you might associate with summer or an after work drink. Whiskey is kind of maybe trying to fit into everything. Yeah, it hasn't quite found its groove yet. Like it's trying to figure out how to communicate, how to maintain its like sense of sort of premiumization or this like sense of aspirational quality whilst at the same time being something that is accessible and affordable and trying to find that middle ground that isn't necessarily like a whiskey and coke at a gig, but also isn't someone smoking a cigar and drinking like a super expensive scotch. Maybe people need a bit more sort of guidance and information about different styles and which styles lend themselves better to mixing, for example, or what ages you might want to drink neat or mm. For mix. sure. That's always been like a bugbear of mine. It's like the idea of just lumping everything into whiskey or like lumping everything into rum and just sort of letting the consumer then run with that means that there's so much mixed messaging because people don't quite understand that there is this range of different styles that can be used in any way. Some are better suited to admittedly to drinking neat which and then others are specifically at their best when you're having them in a highball this is where i think bars play a really important role because really bars like silverleaf chris are at the forefront of educating everybody who comes into which kind of cocktails work with which styles of whiskey or which rums work in this kind of cocktail but my personal feeling is we're not seeing enough particularly of whiskey cocktails and cognac cocktails on menus. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's an issue? I think we're seeing a lot of the same type of whiskey cocktails or the same type of cognac cocktails. And I think that's probably more the issue. I wonder if sometimes it's not so much that we need new, different and exciting recipes, but that 
the presentation can be rethought as well. So, I mean, if I can come back to the highball, because one of the big breakthroughs for me in whiskey was going to Japan for the first time about 15 years ago and experiencing the highball in Tokyo in the way that they do this drink that my grandfather had always drunk, whiskey and soda. You know, he used to drink it in his three-piece tweed suit watching the cricket. <laughs> and suddenly I was in bars where people were making this drink with, you know, beautiful hand-cut ice and you would go to a dinner and the host would sit at the head of the table with a decanter and a big ice bucket and make highballs for everyone at the table. And you'd also experience how whiskey and soda could be really good with food and go right the way through the meal as well. And I just saw the way whiskey was transformed into this glamorous collective ritual and it also made the liquid itself really versatile. It was a real game changer for me seeing that and I'm just surprised that that actually hasn't translated that much over here. Why do you yet. think that is? Is it down to the Japanese people know a lot more about whiskey and understand whiskey and it's more ingrained in their culture than it is over here? Which strikes me as strange because you know Japanese whiskey's really only been around since would, the 1920s. I would say ceremony and ritual is sort of much more at the heart of Japanese life and they really cherish those kind of things in a way that maybe you don't see so much in the UK. I would agree. I think that's certainly a huge part of it. And I think, again, you're right, like the UK is, has kind of been stuck in this idea of like how whiskey should be drunk. When we came out of lockdown, something that we did at Milroy's was put in like a tap program of whiskey and sodas and on draft because we were only allowed to sit outside. It was the summer. And I remember coming to Simon being like, let's just do like cafe culture, terrace sitting, like serve whiskey and sodas. Like, like, like we've got eight tables. Let's just have fun with it. No one's going to sit here and just drink neat scotch and that was amazing and it we went out we got like tankards we put the taps in we put old beer fonts with eyelets on it that we could brand with the whiskey brands so like people would be like Suntory on draft that for me I thought was awesome and we had so much fun doing it and I would love to see more people embrace that sort of culture well, it was revolutionary what you did, which seems strange mm. because we are moving more towards highballs and particularly those of us within the drinks industry are massive fans of highballs. We talk about a lot for them all the time. But to actually have a setup where you have highballs on draft, different whiskies, different types of sodas, and you even have a smoky cokey yes, on do, now yeah. as well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is amazing coke and peated whiskey right, which is yeah. absolutely stunning you know these kinds of fun ways of drinking surely are the way that we get to break down this outdated reputation of whiskey being something you have to drink neat you have to drink just on ice or with a splash of water there are other ways of enjoying it yeah having more fun is ultimately the way to do it right like make it more of a celebration make it more of a bringing people together and then that's a sort of serve that you can also do at home and yeah. sort of share with your friends so it's so easy to translate as well so how would you recommend that somebody at home creates say a certain type of flavored soda or a certain flavored syrup and how would they go about matching a whiskey to that explore the different whiskeys also like you know like we sort of saying about the range of whiskeys like have fun explore different types of whiskey and get to know the ones that you like and be confident about what you like and what you don't like there's nothing there's no right or wrong answer and even just change the garnish like yeah. a, a different citrus twist you know grapefruit orange or lemon or all three you together tangled up in a glass like can give it a different accent. absolutely yeah or i love also peated whiskey with a bit of mint sounds like mm. a bonkers combination i had peated whiskey with cucumber the other day for the first Ooh. time in a, high, in a highball it was so good mm. yeah Ooh, i'm gonna <laughs> try that delicious well, there's Dave Broom, who's a, a very famous whiskey writer. He talks about coconut water with whiskey, and that's obviously a very big serve in the Far East as well. A lot of people do enjoy drinking their whiskey on a nice, long, 
Ice so green tea and whiskey yeah. well. water and green tea. I'm sure in the UK we can find one of the many sodas that are available aside from Coca-Cola. <laughs> coconut to... water is like wildly underrated as like a mixer mm. for a lot of spirits, I think. I made a nice highball the other day with Sakura or cherry blossom seltzer. That oh, was really oh, wow. nice. We've already agreed, I think, that whiskey has this reputation for being a little bit old school. But how have you seen bars modernise the kinds of serves that they're doing with whiskey and rum and cognac it's about this sort of the layout we we had that turret that runs through the middle of silverleaf so we have like a codified back bar and we knew we were going to get access to great bottles i'm conscious that in any premium setting any sort of like hotel bar or like cocktail bar you'll get a list of spirits most of which you've never heard of and then there's like a price point attached to it and that just does no one in the industry any favors so we sort of built this little walk-in like space which i think you've seen where we could put all of our bottles up and the whole point of that was to invite people to walk into this whiskey closet and they can handle the bottles and they can talk to us about the stories and the provenance and price point has nothing to do with it we put whatever we get that isn't our codified back bar bottles we'll go in there and invite our guests just to come and talk to us about them and try and break down those boundaries as much as possible on that note of provenance and inspirational stories behind the spirits i think that's a really important part of our appreciation of a drink particularly dark spirits which tend to come with a lot of legacy and and, you know, they're several years old. There's been a lot of time and effort and art put into the creation of these drinks. How do you think that bars are bringing that to life through the rituals, through the serves? I mean, obviously, we know what you're doing at Silverleaf and having everybody talk to guests about the bottles and, and what they mean and what the stories are. But are there any other ways that you've seen that bars are bringing that, the story of those drinks to life? Yeah, Silverleaf, there's a drink on our menu and it's, it's one of my favourite drinks on our menu. It's by one of our amazing bartenders, Josh Black, who's currently in Japan doing a little stage at High Five. He essentially just did like a Mizuari variation, which would be like a Japanese, like traditional serve of whiskey and mineral water. And there is a ritual of sort of stirring it, sort of anti-clockwise and stirring it clockwise. And that's very Japanese, but ultimately it's whiskey and water. What Josh did is he made like a strawberry water and a little bit of a little bit of lapsang tea. So it's slightly smoked, but it's really fresh. It's really intensely fruity with quite a light Japanese whiskey. And when you talk to people about it, like it's firstly, it's a way of bringing people into a whiskey because strawberry is such an accessible product. And it's something that you won't commonly see paired with whiskey. And there's also this idea of like what a Mizuari is. And it's not something that you can easily discuss with your average guest. So being able to tell them that like, it's literally just whiskey diluted with strawberry water. It's delicious. It, like, and that kind of brings people into that sense of ritual a bit more. I think it's like seeing creative serves like that where you, there's heritage in the product and there's heritage in the serve as well. Whiskey's done a great job of emphasising its heritage and its history and the craftsmanship that it has and all that wonderful tradition. But I would actually like to see a lot more whiskey brands also talking about the future of whiskey and showing a sort of modern and innovative side as well. Because there is so much innovation going on in spirits of all kinds now and so many exciting new producers coming through and whole new nations, you know, putting themselves on the map now, fusing sort of traditional techniques with really modern ideas. Ideas. And I think that would help if we saw a more sort of contemporary side to whiskey as well that wasn't always looking to the past and being maybe a little bit sentimental about the past. I think that would help to bring in a new audience as well. You see that a lot with New World whiskies are often perceived as more accessible, I think, because mm. people aren't intimidated by that kind of heritage yeah. almost. So they feel, oh, maybe I can experiment with this a bit more or, or sort of project my own ideas onto this spirit mm. a bit more. 100 
I yeah. 100% agree. The way that heritage is discussed in dark spirits, cognac and whiskey, I think in particular, I think can be the quagmire that intimidates a lot of new consumers. That sort of barrier to entry, that baseline knowledge that you need to be able to appreciate it properly. But yeah, you're absolutely right. When people are looking to the future, then yeah, there's something they can become a part of and they can tell that story as the story develops. Chris is so right here. Whiskey's rich heritage is romantic and alluring, but it can also be a bit intimidating. There's this idea that you need to have a certain level of knowledge or understanding before you can start to order it, let alone make mixed drinks with it. This is just a quick reminder, you're listening to The Still House podcast, made in partnership with Edrington UK and me, Becky Paskin. Coming up on the podcast, we discuss the easiest ways to start experimenting with exciting whiskey cocktails at home. Plus, we take a look at the cult cocktails of the future and predict whiskey's answer to the Negroni Spagliato. Make sure you also stick around for our recommendations for the ultimate celebratory dark spirits cocktail. But first, I wanted to know how social media is changing our perceptions of how we can enjoy whiskey. Take a listen. Do you agree that social media is playing a really big role here in changing our perceptions around uh, the way whiskey should and shouldn't be drunk? And also the kinds of drinks that we can enjoy it in. There's so many well, bartenders, bars, influencers, all sorts of people posting about their drinks online. There's drinks writers posting drinks from their books, Alice. There's, <laughs> there's lovely cocktails from Silverleaf, which are beautiful when captured on picture form. Are these helping to change the reputation? You've also done an amazing job of encouraging women to post pictures of themselves drinking whiskey to kind of try and write the balance a bit about, you know, whiskey always being perceived as a male drink. And that's definitely an area where social media can play a big part in showing like all the different types of people that are enjoying these spirits. Because they are out there. It's just yeah. advertising doesn't always reflect that. It's that adage that if you can see her, you can be her. If you're if you mm. can't see yourself enjoying a particular drink in a certain way, then it's not necessarily that's something that's going to be at the forefront of your mind to choose. And in a way, having this opportunity to see drinks, cocktails in the, all their beautiful glory. It's because we taste as much with our eyes as we do with our palates when it comes to cocktails. And that surely has had a huge influence on the number of people who are perhaps now selecting whiskey or cognac or rum as base spirit to have in their drinks. Social media is amazing at getting information out to lots and lots of people. So I guess like how that's used then is going to influence it. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Changing the perception as well, like changing the market, making sure, like Alice said, you know, like you've done a vast amount of work to make sure that whiskey is not necessarily viewed as like a masculine spirit. Things like that, I think, are really important. And I think social media can be a really useful tool. Social media can be a really powerful way of sharing inspiration for different drinks and different serves. And I know, Alice, when you post about a cocktail, people get in touch with you from all over the world asking you about ingredients. And certainly when I do anything on the television, people are always in touch saying, oh, I made this. And they'll send you photos of what they've just yeah, made. Yeah, it's lovely it's, that, isn't it's it? It's so lovely because... I mean, it's all you want to do as, as a drinks writer, as a drinks communicator. So connect. Connect. Yeah. And share your love, your passion for these drinks with everybody else. And to see that reflected back is just the best part of the job, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, do you have that kind of connection with your guests when they're maybe trying a cocktail that they had never maybe quite thought of having before? And Yeah, 100%. I think, I mean, I always sort of talk about like how much I dislike bars that kind of rely on sort of explaining their methodology and sort of I'm conscious that like Silverleaf has a lot vast amount of work goes into making the drinks but a, a whole point of Silverleaf was to make sure that we weren't 
just relying on that to like be a bar that we had to make drinks that were legitimately delicious so it's always really rewarding when people are like this is great like how do you make it and then you can come and be like well actually like we do this like it takes about six days to prepare that (laughs) Um, and all of our methodology is also available to the public so we've uploaded it online and made it open so when we've traveled in the past like i got to new york and we've had bartenders be like how do you make that like here's the recipe like go for it and then having bartenders come back to us being like i used your recipe and then i did my own twist on it and sending us photographs of like their garnishes when they've seen like our garnishes and that's like a really rewarding part of it as well knowing that you kind of by sharing that knowledge you can bring people into the community and i think that's that's the most crucial part and that's ultimately how we break down more barriers as well how much are your guests influenced to order a drink based on what they see other people drinking in the bar because obviously the visual aspect of a cocktail is can be really appealing yeah how much are they making their decisions oh i want what they're having that looks good a lot of the drinks are silver leaf look quite similar so because everything is clarified so it's really just like small little touches small garnishes what does, what does that mean clarified how are they looking apart from like two sort of red drinks most of them are quite quite neutral colored like you could be forgiven for thinking it was a glass of soda water or like just a gin, like a gimlet or something right oh. depending on what's in there but from my experience in bars very quickly all you have to do is send out sort of one pink drink and then i got a table <laughs> across the room like i'll have that one <laughs> you know like, it's not even on the menu <laughs> so yeah the visuals do make a huge difference colors and yeah i mean like you said you taste of your eyes first right Exactly. I just wonder whether, you know, we've seen in the last the last few years, the rise of the spritz cocktail has been massive. And I think sometimes the colour of a spritz can be really appealing when you see a waiter bringing out mm. a tray mm. of these bright orange coloured spritzes. And you think, oh, that looks really refreshing and delicious. And then this year we've seen the rise of the spagliato as well. Do you think that whiskey based cocktail or rum or cognac based cocktail can achieve cult status that it could create a trend globally that everybody's ordering something beyond the old-fashioned beyond the old-fashioned yes the highball i just want to see more and more highballs frozen glasses frozen whiskey soda water i hope the highball becomes the whiskey equivalent of a spritz it's as much about the ritual it's obviously about the flavor and the drink itself but it's it's about the ritual around the highball that's a part of the appeal also a highball can be a sort of lighter way to drink spirits i mean obviously it depends what measure of spirits you put in it but you know <laughs> that's a way to make a small amount of spirits go a, a long way you know and be more refreshing so what would you say would be the next big cocktail trend in terms of dark spirits? I mean, we've mentioned the highball, but is there another one that you would pick out? Well, I'm always a big fan of easy ways to tweak classics. So I think there's still huge potential for subbing in other dark spirits in, you know, your favourite dark spirit cocktails. So, for example, like, I'm ashamed to say, it was only the other day I had my first rum Negroni and it was really, really good. So, you know, and so easy. And I love a Boulevardier, which of course is a Negroni made with whiskey. And there's still loads of mileage there, I think. Yeah. Just Mm. sort of chopping and changing your dark spirit in classics. 100%. The easiest way to get into cocktail making is, is subbing spirits if you already know a recipe if you already love a negroni and you like rum then it makes perfect sense but yeah i think that's the easiest way and also just like looking at different like mixers the mixer industry right now is i've never seen anything like it it's just this every day there's so much good stuff coming out i had my first whiskey and tonic a couple of summers ago and i've absolutely fell in love with it it's not something i I would recommend for every whiskey that's for sure. Yeah. You want to go for a sort of lighter... A lighter, lighter like a really light whiskey. Oh. But it was delicious. Cognac and tonic is also a great one. Like, explore what you can mix with. You know, you don't have to be serious about these things, but you just have to be open to, to just 
trying things out. I went through a stage of really loving Irish whiskey with Cherryaid. Oh. I mean, I was, I was younger, but it was an easy one, an easy win with a squeeze of lime. Beautiful. <laughs> I, I love my sweet cherry flavours. Okay, we like to wrap up the podcast with some drinks recommendations. So what is your celebratory drink of choice that's made using whiskey, rum or cognac? I'm a huge fan of punches and there's a whole chapter in my book dedicated to punches. If I've got lots of people coming around, I don't want to be stuck in the kitchen shaking drinks. You know, I want to lay out something beautiful so that when people arrive, there's something everyone can help themselves to and importantly, help each other because it, it's a real icebreaker that because everyone can be guest and host and, you know, you get all these friendships being forged over the ladle as people sort of serve each other. So I'd make a lovely big punch. Cognac is great for punches. The Fish House Punch is great check that one out but I'm going to recommend today a rum punch and what I do first with the rum is I infuse it with pineapple so you just chop up a pineapple into chunks put it in a kilner jar put a bottle of rum in there leave it for a few hours just to infuse and you get all those lovely fruity tropical esters and then what is it I'll take about 700 mils of that pineapple rum then we've got 120 mils of lime juice 120 mils of lemon juice you've got a nice citrus there 190 mils of sugar syrup 650 mils of soda water and then you have a choice because you can either add a few dashes of Angostura bitters. I go for about five mils of Angostura bitters or a little bit of absinthe if you want something Ooh, a bit more nice. exciting. Stick in loads of ice and serve with loads of glasses. Rum punch puts everybody in a good mood, doesn't it? Always. I love the idea of congregating around the punch bowl with the ladle and sharing stories and serving each other. That's such a lovely idea. Absolutely. And like back in the day, you know, the peak of punch culture in sort of the Georgian and Victorian times, the making of the punch was all part of the evening's entertainment. You know, everyone would mix it together and taste and discuss and tweak. And that was just a lovely focal point. And I think we should do a lot more of that. I want to bring back the art of punch making. Yeah, the punch for party. Sure. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> So Chris, how about you? What's your celebratory drink of choice? Well, as soon as you said punch, my head immediately went to Fish House Punch. It's so good. And so it is yummy. light rum and cognac as well. So oh, it's, delicious. Just, it's perfect. Yeah. And peach. And I love peach. Mm. But my go-to would be a brown derby. On nice. paper, is something that you wouldn't necessarily expect. But bourbon, traditionally bourbon, grapefruit and honey. I think it works with a little bit of extra lemon juice in there just to give it some balance. But I mean, make it like a whiskey sour, serve it on the rocks, serve it up. 40 mils of bourbon. I would do 15 mils of grapefruit juice 50 mils of honey maybe 10 mils of lemon just to give it a little bit of more acidity shake that serve it how you like love it I Delicious. love a brown so fresh and so underrated so underrated I think people like immediately get turned off by like the idea of like bourbon and grapefruit juice mm. and they're like how's that going to work but actually it's it's so good it's really really nice and Yummy. it's also one of those great drinks where you fresh juice good bourbon good local honey like something with a lot of flavor and you can really uh, make it sing refreshing mm. and delicious exactly and a great drink to go and order at a bar like just you can walk into a bar you've got a good cocktail bar order a brown derby what about you Becky what's Ooh. what's your go-to so many to choose from I love celebrating with a cocktail I think I would celebrate with a jungle bird another cocktail I don't think that many people are familiar with but it's one of my all-time favorite rum cocktails it's a little bit tropical a little bit refreshing but it's also indulgent as well and just a really great drink to have that celebration with i'm going to say it's 45 mil rum 45 mil pineapple and then 15 mil of campari 15 mil of lime juice and 15 mil of sugar syrup as well and it's just such a lovely tropical fruity delicious treat of a drink alice and chris it's been really lovely to have you in the Stillhouse podcast thank you both very much thanks for thank having you. us
What a brilliant episode this has been. Although many dark spirits have a rich history and heritage, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy them in fun, modern ways. We're now seeing whiskey and dark spirits presented in bright, colourful and exciting ways. The location changing from dark, dimly lit bars to alfresco roof terraces and that the old fashioned switched out for bright, bubbly highballs. I've loved Chris and Alice's suggestions to play with twists on classic cocktails by subbing in your favourite dark spirit in place of gin or vodka. I'm certainly going to give a whiskey and tonic a try this evening. I don't think dark spirits should ever lose their aspirational quality, but that doesn't mean we need to restrict ourselves to only sipping them neat. Innovation has always been what these spirits are about. So whether you're the kind of person who loves to go to a bar with friends or prefers to enjoy a cocktail at home, remember that by experimenting with different flavours, garnishes and mixes, by just having fun with your whiskey in a way that works for you, you are still paying homage to the craft and history of dark spirits. Thank you so much to Alice Lassels and Chris Tanner for coming on the show. You can learn more about Alice and her book, The Cocktail Edit, at alicelassels.com. And if you want a really luxury, incredible cocktail bar experience, make sure you pop in to see Chris at Silverleaf in London. Thank you for joining us in the Stillhouse today. Join us next week on the Stillhouse podcast when I meet Adam Layton of Honest Burgers and Tom Bouton, head chef for the Grill at the Dorchester, to explore the world of food, dark spirits and sharing plates. I'll be asking the pair why dark spirits aren't always the first drink you might think of when looking for a good pairing with your meal, but why drinks like whiskey can actually enhance the flavour of our food. We'll also explore different serves around the world, including the Japanese highball. It's a fantastic episode, so we'll see you there. Just a few quick notes before we go. Make sure to follow the show so you get automatically notified about new episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the show on Instagram at The Stillhouse Podcast. If you would like to learn more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at Becky Paskin or at Our Whiskey. Data and knowledge shared in this podcast is built on insight from Edrington UK's 2025 Category Vision, a framework based on exclusive consumer research brought to you by the UK's leading dark spirits experts. This podcast is produced by Edrington UK in partnership with One Fine Play. The Edrington UK team has been led by Fiona Older with a project team of Catherine Barassa, DK Chung and Becca Flynn. From One Fine Play, James Bishop is the executive producer. Kajra Ferozia is the editor and producer. Connor Foley is the producer and researcher. Selena Christofides is the graphic designer. I've been your host, Becky Paskin, and this has been The Stillhouse Podcast. For more information on responsible drinking, please visit drinkaware.co.uk.